Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Lagen, a podcast exploring how to find a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living, to support your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and wherever you're listening from, I hope that you're doing well and I'm sending my love out to you. So in today's conversation, I'm chatting with Xenia a sustainability blogger with a master's in sustainable development. Xenia grew up in Russia and following her education, she moved to the Netherlands. She's embarked upon a journey into minimalism, zero waste and continuing to learn and spread awareness about challenges to sustainability, zero waste, minimalism and mental health, among many other things. In this conversation, she shares her experiences living a zero waste and more minimalist life, along with discussing impacts of privilege, making this more attainable and barriers surrounding sustainability. She explains the ways in which capitalism is the root of many problems the world is facing, shares advice on managing eco-anxiety, and of course, how she finds her little bit of lagum. I hope that you enjoy this episode and let's just jump straight into it. Nice to meet you. I'm sorry it's a little bit loud. I'm making some tea. Uh, so as soon as it's over. No worries at all. Yeah, it's lovely to have you as a guest on the podcast. And I was really mm-hmm. touched that you wanted to kind of come on and chat about these things. And so first I thought it would be great if you just tell us a little bit about you and your education I think it's really cool that you studied sustainable development so I'd love to hear a bit more about that would be fab absolutely so my name is Xenia and I studied first international relations for my bachelor's and then one of the programs for my master's at the university was international cooperation sustainable development and um, back then it was one of the only sustainable development and environmental uh, science oriented program in Russia which didn't have to do with geology or uh, engineering. It felt exciting for me and I chose it. I then went to um, a semester abroad in Germany and then I realized how big of a difference this is in our in different countries. And also the uh, school of thought I was taught back in 2015 was completely different. In Russia, our professor would still um, say that climate is changing but it's something uh, natural for climate to do and that it's debatable whether uh, there is a human impact on it while in Germany it was quite clear that this is definitely an anthropogenic uh, factor and it was out of question that climate change is something uh, caused by humans and that it's only catching up with us starting industrial revolution basically but because of the way uh, the environment kind of heals itself for example the oceans for centuries taking in some of the heat from the atmosphere and that is why only now we're noticing for the past 30 years the ice caps have are disappearing in some places they have completely disappeared we're recording record temperatures but it's been something that has been going on 
four decades. It's just that uh, it's catching up with us. So this is what I um, learned when, in 2015. And it was overwhelming to say the least. And I also felt like there was such sense of urgency, a climate emergency. And my understanding was that the uh, United Nations conference in Paris in 2015 was also supposed to be this huge breakthrough. And everyone was so hopeful. And you know, five years from then, I don't see <laughs> any improvement, honestly. And with the US pulling out of the Paris Agreement, of course, now we can say that with Joe Biden being the president... Um, Hopefully they're going to rejoin immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but now we're uh, starting to hear that it's not enough. And it's just basically a commitment. So there are no... Um, legally binding or anything yeah it's not, yeah, it's not really binding yes yeah. that's how, why um, the movement of young people is actually so important because um, they are the ones to be dealing with the problems and, uh, when you learn this kind of things I think it would be hypocritical to not to improve your lifestyle <laughs> at some point right and uh, some of the things were easier than other which might feel intimidating, for example, some people might not imagine their life without buying completely new clothes, but <laughs> I don't see any problem in it. I moved to the Netherlands after I graduated. Here I'm happy that there are much more recycling opportunities and some of the things I had to work really hard for in Russia, like sourcing the garbage is very easy here so it was that's why i felt like i could do more and more and i have been trying to um, make a new change in my lifestyle ever since 2015 basically oh amazing and yeah i just want to touch upon what you said about how you feel it would be hypocritical to not make those changes once you learn those things and I think that's such an important thing is sometimes we get this information, we feel so overwhelmed, but once we have that information, it's so important we find our ways to act on it. Um, so I'd love now to move on to hear a bit more about, yeah, the first sort of changes you made. I know that now you consider yourself minimalist and zero waste. And yeah, I'd love to hear how you started that journey. Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to preface this saying that it's a journey and it's a journey for everyone and will be different for each and everyone. For me, my journey began with minimalism and spilled over to sustainability because um, I have been moving, changing some cities and just even moving from one place to another. And I realized that I enjoy um, having very little material things. I wouldn't consider myself, definitely wouldn't consider myself an extreme minimalist because there are people like that um, and I follow some of them on YouTube and I love their aesthetic, but this is not something I can see for myself. For me, it definitely began in decluttering the clothes that I had and I grew up in a very poor household, so clothes was something as an investment and you would buy it and wear it until you can't fix it anymore, so 
<laughs> right? So it's not even that you would get rid of it if you had a hole. No, you would have to fix the hole and continue wearing it. Sometimes I would also like dye with the black clothes, sometimes gets um, worn out and you can actually dye it so that it looks black uh, again. So there are a lot of things to revive your items and I'm definitely very thankful for my parents to teaching me first how to choose quality pieces and also how to take care of them. It was seductive at some point to have fast fashion, but I realized quickly that it doesn't work for me and these pieces fall apart and I want to not care about it as much. I want to just put something on and know that it's uh, going to last and I'm going to feel good in it. I just cleaned up some of my uh, wardrobe. I sold a lot of it online. So I can recommend one in the Netherlands, it's very popular. It's called Marktplatz, basically marketplace. So people put their announcement that they are getting rid of something you can pick up uh, for free. For example, the <laughs> couch we have now uh, is for free. So instead of throwing stuff away, maybe look for a person who would, you know, home this item and be happy with it. I realized when I started working, I was buying things that I didn't have when I was a kid and unfortunately it doesn't feel the hole that you might have had. You can't really uh, give it to yourself when you were a little kid. They are shallow basically. You can't really buy a toy now <laughs> and, uh, and be as happy as if you would have been 20 years ago, right? So. I realized that at some point because I'm not a kid anymore and uh, it was interesting to understand that um, I actually care much more about experiences like traveling or going to the, to the theater with my friends rather than having something which I would dream <laughs> before. After that I tried to just pay attention to out of what uh, stuff I uh, consume made of. If it's in plastic, can I search for it without plastic? Luckily for a lot of food, you can actually buy it plastic free. A lot of cosmetics, you will be surprised. It just maybe needs a little bit more effort of uh, looking, but it's uh, you can easily come by things that come without plastic, just in glass or in paper. It's, it helps a lot if you don't eat meat, for example, because meat is usually, it has to be packaged in a way that it doesn't go bad. Fruits and veggies and um, rice and beans, they don't really need um, plastic, right? Another thing is overall switching to vegan and cruelty-free products. This is again, some of the thing that uh, when you start doing your research and look at the way animals are still being tested on, it's not completely necessary because you can test it clinically on, on you know, lab equipment. I realized that I don't want to support that and just started switching to cruelty-free products. And I did it the way maybe some people disagree, would disagree, but a zero waster in me said, okay, I'm just going to finish, or if it's new, I'm just going to uh, gift all the stuff that I have for now, instead of um, creating a lot of waste by f throwing away 
something that's not completely cruelty free and then buy new ones, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that approach. That is what I did with when I was making transitions to buying vegan and cruelty free. You know, it's so much better to use up what you already have than to just create more waste before buying something new. Yeah. And I want to pick up on what you said as well about the kind of idea of like filling a cavity with possessions. Mm -hmm. I think it can be such a tempting thing, especially when we live in such a consumerist culture. It's like, if I buy this thing, I will feel the feeling that I would like to feel. Whereas actually, like you were saying, the experiences give you so much more. It's really nice to hear that that's the view that you hold. Yeah, and um, there is one creator who her nickname is Small Wardrobe on YouTube. And she actually reviewed some of the Black Friday uh, videos and overall the marketing and the idea behind having and buying things. And she said, which I think I read somewhere before as well, that a lot of the marketing campaigns um, appeal to the sense in us and to the sense of scarcity. So we are designed as a human being, as, you know, uh, homo sapiens to preserve ourselves. This is the number one thing. And then if if the marketing appeals to the sense of, um, you know, you need it, <laughs> you have to get it. Then your animal brain thinks, yes, I need this to survive. <laughs> and it's not like that. First, we don't have to measure the happiness and the well-being in wealth. And secondly, we don't need to hoard. We don't need to show off as much. But uh, it still works because either it's because we feel like we need it. For example, if people had scarce childhood, they feel like they need to have it right now because they feel secure. Or if they want to be seen a certain way by uh, society, they want to get the first iPhone or whatnot. Marketing is very clever on appealing to us and making us buy. The problem is that you can't consume all the time and you can't produce uh, endlessly, right? So there are such things as the planetary boundaries which have to deal with, do with the resources and uh, with the depletion of the resources at, at a certain amount, um, they can't be restored, right? Just as the fossil fuels will end one day and it will take millions of years to restore them for the planet. Uh, for example, the trees, because the uh, ones that we are cutting down, like the rainforest, not being substituted by the same uh, types of trees and also does not give back the ecosystem. When you're cutting down a tree, you're destroying the whole world for bacteria and mushrooms and birds. You're disrupting a cycle. The premise that we can be developing and growing endlessly and still not destroy the planet is false. And I'm afraid to say that even the sustainable development goals are to a certain extent built on this uh, premise that, you know, economic growth is good, but we still kind of forget that it's not growth for the sake of growth, right? It's growth for the sake of development. Like they say it in 
more than economics is that the spill down effect is that when you pour into a big bowl, which represents, say, rich people, if you pour enough, it will spill out and the water will go trickle down to poor people. But the problem is that, uh, you know, the bigger the bowl, the less spills over. So we have uh, quite huge disparity of wealth, meaning that uh, some people just sit on billions while others are surviving on less than a dollar a day. So the spillover doesn't really work because rich people in, uh, know how to hold on to their wealth and usually you don't come to being rich like as a self-made person. You come to inherit this wealth. Yeah, it's crazy because it's almost like the wealth just stays within the wealthiest because investments go into other companies that have a lot of money. I think... I read a statistic somewhere which was something like a hundred of the businesses in the world are responsible for like 60 or 70 percent of the like greenhouse gas emissions. But it is just basically representing how much damage these huge companies are doing when that money could so much better support people who really need it in the system that we're living in at the moment, which is just, yeah, Yeah. it's crazy, the disparity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's the same as with, you know, the myth of overpopulation. It's exactly the same that everyone is saying that, oh, we have too many people to feed. The problem is that we have too many rich people and too many people in developed countries who use up, it's called the Pareto Principle. It's that uh, every time you look, it's 20% of population creating 80% of emissions or 20% of companies holding the wealth and the influence in the world. And it's the same for the people that uh, there are top, uh, I don't know, 2 billion of people who enjoy everything they can think of, creating 80% of the emissions and the uh, trash, right? top percentages of the population and just enjoying the most yeah but i think that's the thing as well is the top percentage of the population of course will want people to think that overpopulation is the problem because then they don't have to change anything but when you start looking at things of how like even things with food waste like a third of food is wasted yeah But if we actually looked at that and thought, okay, so in developed countries, we are consuming too much and wasting too much, they'd rather not have to face that because then you have to start breaking down this capitalist consumerist system, which is very flawed. And um, that's something that you talk about quite a lot. But before delving into that, I'd love to talk a bit more about within sustainability, how actually it is a privilege oftentimes to be in a position to make those choices and you speak a lot about that and I'd love to yeah hear more of your perspectives on how there are a lot of barriers to sustainability and that is something that we need to solve to make it more accessible. Yeah absolutely well the fact that uh, we are talking about it uh, the fact that uh, we are aware about these issues is already a sign of privilege because it means we have a certain level of education and we can grasp the complexity of the concept. Not uh, all people, and especially women, engage this 
enjoy the, uh, this privilege, right? So um, it starts with knowledge and then it, it then trickles down to almost everything that you can do. One of the arguments that people say usually is that um, being sustainable is hard on costs and money. And I would argue, but the coin has two sides. On the one hand, I would say that it doesn't really have to be expensive. It just needs a little bit of behavioral change and intention. But on the other hand, I would say um, where I compensate in not uh, spending my money, I compensate in spending time. And I know that some people can't afford to spend their time because they are uh, not being paid, uh, for example, sufficiently uh, and they have to work extra or they have you know, children to take care of just goes to the fact that some people just don't have freedom to sit down, do the research or even compare which things are more sustainable and which not. So I completely understand that. And that's why I think it's also unfair to speak about individual responsibility because in the end, it's mostly the systems that are benefiting and the companies that are benefiting, not the individuals. So it would be unfair to blame a person with or without privilege. But of course, the more time and money you have, it means the more power you have. And then if you, particularly like us, if we have a platform where we can spread the word, it's already a lot. And I think now we definitely have to take advantage. And this was also in about the Black Lives Matter movement is that when you have your white privilege, you also have to use it for good and spread the word around your family and just um, not tolerate uh, certain behaviors and call out racism and call out it in yourself and everyone else, right? Because you enjoy the privilege of being white and uh, you might not get aggression if you're speaking out for, you know, uh, against this, right? So it's the same here. Since we have this privilege, we better put our money and our uh, daily activities where our heart is and where our mouth is. Yeah, just to sum up, I always think that it's always better to um, encourage people and not to shame them into being into certain behavior. So I would never shame anyone for not being sustainable because who knows uh, what they're going through. But that's why I'm trying to spread the word and lead by example, just to show that you can. And if you can't, I understand because I'm pretty privileged to live this kind of life I do. It's very true. And I think the thing is as well is with that privilege comes the additional responsibility when you recognize the actions you can take in your position. But it is also then having that added recognition, which you have, which is so important, but hopefully through what you share with others they'll always be able to find something even if it's one thing they can take away and apply in their lives that's a wonderful thing i think it comes down to that everyone taking that moment to recognize if they do have a privilege in an aspect of their life how can they take a responsibility in that to do something a bit better for someone else and for the planet 
Yeah. There was something that you mentioned within that as well, which really struck a chord with me. It was around having knowledge and that we are lucky to be in a position to recognize the complexities, being able to share this information in a way that is accessible for people. I think that's still something that can be quite difficult within the kind of sustainability space. I would love to hear if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, just uh, recently I had actually a discussion about ability to access information, process it and pass it on. We were talking about the research related to the uh, coronavirus, meaning that not everyone in their daily lives has time and uh, skills to read an article dedicated to the use of uh, efficiency, effectiveness of using masks. So it means that the medical professionals and researchers hold responsibility to relay this in a way that you can clearly understand if you look at it for five minutes and you know, uh, um, and then if people want to check out and want to double check the information, p- provide the source but also make sure you you are respectful towards the recipients of this information. So it's the same in terms of climate change and in terms of uh, sustainability. So uh, there are so many people still being climate skeptic, partly because the fake news is so strong and because the research could be complex. If we do hold the privilege of knowing this, we also owe it to other people who don't have time or knowledge to read an article make it more accessible because knowledge shouldn't be something only for you know educated uh, people who speak several languages and stuff like that uh, it's for everyone it's just when you do something for a long time you you start to use your jargons you start to u- use terms so you ha- don't have to assume that people you're talking to know them because how would they? They are professionals in their own sphere. This is, I think, the link that has been missing so far between the scientific research about you know climate change and the impact of human activities, the Anthropocene, the fact that we're living in the age of humans changing environment to the extent where might not be able to go back. And then we have to make it to people who... Uh, vote and who pay taxes and who don't care about the planet because they haven't felt they're also privileged enough to not feel the impact of climate change yet. So there has to be a link somehow because humans don't understand numbers well. You know, if you say that a million of species will be uh, destroyed... We can't grasp it because it's an abstract number. But if you say, well, say in your environment from 30 years ago, there were 50 types of birds and you could enjoy them, listen to them. And now, for example, your children will not see 90% of these birds. Don't you feel sad about it? That kind of relate in a way that it's uh, relatable to people. And then you think, yeah, yeah, I would actually want my children to wake up to birds singing uh, and to recognize them, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
I think that's so powerful because it it calls on someone's empathy then to be like, oh, how is this actually impacting the people I care about in my community? I think sometimes people do become quite distanced from these things because they just hear these arbitrary numbers, which it's hard to to grasp what that is on a kind of more personal level. So yeah, having it kind of like what you said then, it it painted in a way that makes you realize how it's impacting real people you know it's not just numbers and yeah going back to what you're saying about biodiversity as well I think that's something that is getting forgotten about so much when we get caught up in co2 and you know sea level rise and all of these things which are so important but when it comes to biodiversity it feels like there's a disconnect with where that comes into it and like with deforestation the tree isn't just the tree being cut down and like you were saying we plant another yeah. one but i think it takes like 30 years before it has the same co2 capturing capabilities but also like you were saying the whole ecosystem that that tree supported is just completely destroyed and yeah yeah, yeah. And um, I, I love the, what you said about empathy. We do need to be empathic to everyone. And that's what I feel that these researchers with um, their numbers sometimes forget. But at the same time, another, what you're saying, just it's um, bringing up something in me. It's just that people, humans think that they are outside of the ecosystem. You know, we usually perceive it as um, human is on top of the pyramid. Like here is the people, here are all the nature servants, subservient to humans, which is completely wrong. Actually, we should see ourselves as in a, this big bubble together with uh, the planet with the uh, plants with everything has the same exact value as we do we don't understand that and that's and we think that for example that animals are stupid because they don't have our intelligence that they are worth something less because they don't have a complexity of feelings that we have people even think that some of the races are better than others or how colonists thought that you know, some of the cultures are better and some are worse. They are coming to the inferior land and trying to humanize them, to give them a civilization, which they didn't need, basically. That's the core of the problem. Because not just we are equal as humans with each other, we are also hold exactly the same value as a tree. It's just <laughs> we're all there to preserve and to survive. And unfortunately, humans change the environment too much. While what trees do, they actually also change the environment, but they do it in a way to accommodate all other species around them. It's so, so true. Yeah, like I read a wonderful book that was called Think Like a Tree. I'll put it in the show notes this episode as well, because it showed you how much we can actually learn from trees. And, and it goes to show that that's the same with all different types of animals. There's an intelligence in all of us. 
it's different. One is not better or worse. And it makes me think of an Einstein quote, which I think is, if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it'll spend its whole life believing it's stupid. And it's so yeah. true. Like we have our strengths in our different areas. And why is it that we've just put ourselves at the top at the expense of everything else? Because we're not realizing how it's all so connected. Absolutely. And speaking of the book recommendations, I would also recommend The Secret Life of Trees. This is also something about the fact that trees have also a communication system which is aimed at survival as well. So it's uh, very interesting the way it's just that everything has a purpose and this purpose is preservation of the species and how it goes and how to what length can plants and animals go to adjust to their environments or to change their environments to survive. So it's very interesting and it's just, it's all interconnected and um, that's why we can't just tear ourselves out and say that, well, we are uh, sufficient enough, we can do it uh, without the planet, basically. Well, we can't. It's interesting that um, from a microbiology point of view as well, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but it's something that has been fascinating me recently is the fact that we are actually thinking ourselves as a body, you know, like as a one whole solid person. But the thing is that um, also I think about 80% or so of us are microbes. We're just microbes. So <laughs> these microorganisms, they are everywhere and... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes you feel like you want a chocolate bar, but sometimes maybe it's just your, your microbes want the chocolate bar, you know? It's uh, it's something interesting. It's just like the cells constantly dying and renewing themselves, and we just don't consider ourselves to be such a complex organism, which we are. We are like a universe for a microbe that lives inside us. And so it's uh, quite fascinating for me just the, the way that we think it's we are solid, right? But it's actually just the millions and billions of cells doing their quiet work. And that's the way we should see the nature as well. Everything is living together, living, breathing together. So it's very, very interesting. I can recommend the, uh, one podcast episode about microorganisms. It will relay better how fascinating it is that we all consist of microorganisms. <laughs> I'd love to listen to that episode. I think it's so true. Like It really starts there. If we can realize that connectivity on an individual level in your own body, then you really relay that into the rest of society. And I think it would really shift everyone's way of thinking if people did have that notion of everything is so connected, my actions impact other people, other organisms. And then I think we'd take a lot more care in the choices that we make, for sure. Again, when we have the privilege of time and education to think about these things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to touch a little bit on, but kind of this idea of like economic growth and the capitalist system in general being a failing system uh, currently in the way it's functioning. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. I never thought that I would be so into talking about economy and capitalism because I never really I never really liked economy. I had it as a class 
and it felt boring to me because it's about money but it's not it's uh, has to do with everything honestly so it's just when you start to learn some of the economic theories that you understand that we are living in a very very unfair system the system that we have now it values only certain parts of labor and only certain materialistic goods so for example a lot of labor which is unpaid which is emotional labor on the labor of cooking the dinner cleaning the dishes taking care of the baby is not valued as much as a labor of going to a day job at a desk and earning money it's just amazing how it overlaps with the um gender disparity women get to do this unpaid labor so even if they go back to a labor market they're still being paid less when you talk about economy we have to understand that we value certain things more than others then we have to talk about the fact that the economy is supposedly growing when there is more consumption to feed on more consumption we have to have more more and more production so it means constant growth constant production everything has to be new everything is replaceable if some if something breaks we don't fix it we buy a new thing it's supposed to give us pleasure and it goes away very quickly because there is another next new thing that you're supposed to get so we have to own more we have to have bigger houses you know just we have to have more and more and more through this tangent i think i kind of lost uh, what i was trying to say because some people might th- might say do you think you're you're then a marxist or do you think you're a communist or something like that well, it's very hard to think outside the system because this is the way uh, it is operated. Yeah. So I can't really just uh, offer you anything better for now. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that it's just producing more is not an option anymore because it's overflown. We have uh, literally islands of trash in the sea. We have uh, companies burning their own clothes, which is not being sold so that the value doesn't go down. So it's just clear at this point that we can't produce our way out of, uh, out of climate change. There are no alternatives to capitalism at this point. But what we have for the first time is that for the first time we're listening to non-Western non-binary non-white cultures you know we're trying to search for solutions and so we have to start valuing other things than just material things we have to start value unpaid labor for what it is we have to um not even put a monetary value on the planet but start to value it over the profit and i don't have a solution for that it's very hard because as far so far as long as sales and you know, capitalism and uh, climate change just doesn't doesn't intervene in our affairs so much that uh, companies will go broke and they will stop they will stop making money i don't think it will be solved honestly i think covid-19 actually showed a little bit that we're super interconnected. We're living in the global village. But what it also revealed is that our economy is a joke. 
People can go out of business uh, for nothing. You can't just keep inflating the economy and having Black Friday deals <laughs> forever, right? So I think in the end, if we don't reconsider what we value and what we are willing to pay for and what we're willing to work for and spend our money on and, you know, just spend our time, either it's going to be just a huge blow up of the market or, you know, it's just going to be a huge um, blow up of the climate, basically. So I think we can't just be going the same way. And I don't think that, just like Greta said, uh, you can't be calling for help, you know, the same system, the same people, the same capitalism that brought you into this. You made some really great points there, especially regarding we can't, even sort of begin to think of what a non-capitalistic society could be because we've never lived in one. I think it's really important what you said as well about hearing from a diversity of voices because that is where the solution is going to come from. To, to get a solution that can better support all of humanity, we need to be hearing from not just one aspect of it. It's mind-boggling when you start start to realize who has been writing the history for the past uh, thousands of years that it has been predominantly male, western, straight, white people. So, yeah, we have to f fill in the blanks that we had. I think I'm still hopeful. I, uh, I remember that um, at some point I was so depressed. You have this eco-grief, eco-anxiety, understanding how sad the state of the world is. But then I realized that, you know, humanity went through so many wars and conflicts. And, and then I realized maybe it's not all lost and people managed to recover and to survive. But now, of course, we're not in, in the war with another nation. Now we are in war against structures, against climate change that's catching up. So it's uh, much more complex, much more complicated. It sounds almost unsolvable, but I'm still hopeful that it might be because otherwise there is no hope left, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we have to be hopeful because otherwise what else is there, you know? And But, but I think there are so many wonderful people out there doing incredible things and it can be easy to forget that because there's just so much to be worried about with the climate with social injustices there's so many awful things happening but we do need to remember there are a lot of wonderful people doing good work we just need more of them and we need to appeal to people's humanity to get more people to do what they can from whatever position they are in whatever privileges they have to recognize them and make those changes because not everyone has the access to the same resources or the same privilege to offer everything so yeah it's coming back to recognizing what is within each of our capacities to contribute and to gain that sense of community and work together and just try and stay hopeful as much as we can yeah, when you talk about eco-anxiety, I think that's something that so many of us who are passionate about trying to help the planet and help others 
it can be so overwhelming and you can feel hopeless. And if you have any tips for people, it would be so great for you to offer them. Well, I'm still um, struggling with this myself, but let's just acknowledge that it's completely normal that we're feeling like this. And so we are not alone. It's completely natural that we feel like that. Acknowledge what you feel, grieve together. It means that you care, right? What I would do is just to remind that even comparing to the moment when you just started, you've already done so many amazing things. As an individual, you can only do that much. But at the same time, uh, you as an individual, you are part of the society. So the more you spread awareness, the more you drive social change. 20 years ago, we couldn't imagine, for example, same-sex marriages. But now it's a norm in many countries. So isn't it great that just spread this awareness and understanding and um, achieve this, which could be unthinkable to some people. So it's just a matter of time. And now with the technologies that we have, we can have people across the world um, <laughs> in uh, talking to each other, right? So it goes, if something happens, when you know about it almost immediately. So that's, that's why it's even more natural that you feel overwhelmed. But it doesn't mean that have to despair it actually means that it's the best time to be alive right now because you have the voice even as women for example if it has been 100 years ago we would have had so many obstacles on our part to do what we do now right so i think now it's the best time <laughs> to be alive and step by step do the little things you do and don't spread the hate because there isn't already enough there's enough hate in the world <laughs> yeah there's already enough so i wouldn't shame anyone for not being vegan or vegetarian even though it feels kind of weird but i uh, i want to support anyone and just to remember how i was myself several years ago and it helps a lot to see that maybe if you are listening to this and you're thinking that, oh, it just seems so far-fetched, I would never be that. Well, I thought so, like that as well. Uh, and here I am now, right? So it's, um, it's just a journey and maybe this is your beginning. That's such an important point to make. Thank you for that. You go so far along this journey that then there's the worry that that almost becomes inaccessible for people because they see that and think oh well that's you know that seems like way too much work to ever get to that mm -hmm. point and you know everyone is in very different situations and has different things accessible for them and to be kind to yourself in that as well and recognize if something isn't achievable right now like that isn't necessarily your fault you know we don't live in a society that makes everything accessible um, and also I just wanted to bring up as well how wonderful I think it is that you talk about mental health and open up a space to talk about that I find that incredibly inspiring because I myself had suffered with mental health issues growing up and it's something that I'm still very afraid to talk about and that in itself almost traps me in this thing of I'm bringing stigma to a thing that I think shouldn't be stigmatized and I think that's why it's so important we have more people openly talking about these things because it makes 
people feel more supported and less alienated. So thank you so much mm. for that. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I started having mental health issues, my parents didn't know what to do because in their generation, it was not uh, something you would discuss and they didn't know where to get help. So now I just feel like I want to offer as much help as possible to anyone who is affected by mental health issues or has a family member or a friend who is suffering from mental health issues because it shouldn't be something that's spoken behind the closed doors. It's something that's natural and human. And another interesting thing, you know, we also have to be understanding of other people's cultures as well. There is also such thing as, you know, a lot of indigenous people living in a circle with the nature, especially, for example, in Russia, there are indigenous peoples of the north and they survive in the harsh environment of sub-zero temperatures uh, most time of the year. And so they hurt the deer and then they kind of provide this ecosystem for the deer, uh, moving them around from pasture to pasture. And then they make a lot of things out of the uh, animal products. I think when it comes to a part of being culture and survival mechanism, I can't judge them for doing this because I know that they are doing it not for pleasure it's also part of the survival and preservation of their culture that is built on using animal products so it's not something i am doing myself right but it's something that i am respectful of we also have to be understanding and it's also not about you know the western veganism the more you realize how actually you know like how many shades can um can this be right yeah, and I think that's such a great point to make. And I have a similar view on that with regards to an indigenous community relying on a source of meat to survive because that is the situation they're living in. That is what is keeping them and their community alive, you know? Whereas, mm. for example, in the society we're living in now, we're not going out ourselves and hunting our food, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And we aren't reliant on that process um yeah. and i think sometimes there is an idealized view of maybe what farming is oh, um, <laughs> yeah and i think that's something that uh, you know a lot of people fall into is if yeah. we did all see the realities of what was happening more openly i think a lot more people would be vegan oh yeah for sure uh, I grew up in the countryside and that's why I thought I, I kind of had this. But oh, when you learn about the way um, the animals are being kept, uh, it's just inhumane. And this is exact way why the climate change uh, is uh, speeding up, why there are so many CO2 emissions. It's just that animals are not supposed to be in such close proximity to each other. And this is... This is actually when I stopped eating meat, is when I wrote a paper for my uh, 
studies about the animal welfare here in the Netherlands because it's actually considered to be one of the upfront com countries with the regulations quite strict for animals but it's still the way they're being kept if it, if people have seen the uh, pictures and the videos and just uh, comprehend the way the animals are being farmed uh, in the modern society and they're choosing to ignore that I think this is something, it's just, yeah, there's something wrong about it. It means that you are consciously choosing to ignore the suffering of other uh, beings. It's the same with the fast fashion. If you have come to learn about the way the conditions, especially now with the uh, COVID-19, workers are putting together these um, items, you can't just knowingly... You just knowingly ignore it anymore. It comes back to sitting down and thinking, what are the values that I hold? What do I really care about? And then question the actions in your life, where they can, are they aligning with your values? And I would love to be able to say that none of the actions I take in my life impact negatively on someone else. And sadly, this system that we live in now, I don't think really anyone in the world can outwardly say that but we can do the bits that we can where we can to avoid that and I think that's something that's become so important to me is Absolutely. just trying yeah. to see where in my life can I do the least negative impact that I can exactly, exactly. yeah yeah exactly you can't just say, say well the world is shit anyway how can I you know you can't well, yes, I know that me having this uh, laptop, Materials has been um, mined for it to get the m metal and stuff like that. Uh, slave labor was used to assemble it. I know it, but it, I also then choose to not to replace it when it breaks, but uh, repair it and then choose to use this particular laptop to talk to you and you know, spread awareness. It's exactly like that. You can't take a stand and say that, oh, this is out of my control. Yes, to the bigger extent it is, but to a certain things, it's still not. So it, doesn't it feel good to exercise whatever agency you have to fight against it? I think, I think it still makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Because it's almost like that thing, if we say, oh, well, you know, the climate's already destroyed, what are my actions going to do? It's like, if mm. there was, I don't know, a massive spill on the floor, would you just think, oh, well, there's already a spill. So if I just, I'll just tip more on it anyway, because it's mm. already damaged. Like, that's just going to make it worse. Whereas if you thought yeah. like, okay, I'll just put a bit of paper towel that I have with me, it might not be enough to clean up the whole thing, but I'm trying to do something to help. And then the more people that just patch up this little thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I like this metaphor. I do, yeah. Also, a lot of people in saying also you should uh, turn off the uh, whatever the source is, right? So it's the hardest thing to do, but maybe together we can at least at least not pouring more over and over i think it's already something good and then if we could turn off the source that's doing it it would be awesome but such a good metaphor honestly it's just if you saw trash 
you would not throw more because you say, ah, already dirty. Now you will try to clean up something or at least not throw your stuff there, right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> well, it's yeah. It's so wonderful chatting with you about these things, and yeah, like hearing your perspectives are so valuable. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. But I am aware I've kept you for over an hour, so <laughs> I thought I would go and ask you the question that I always ask at the end of my podcast interviews, which sure. is. Because the podcast is called The Little Bit of Largum, which is all about finding balance, like a little bit and not too much. So I was just wondering how for you do you find a little bit of Largum? It could be in your day, a habit that you have, just what it means for you in your life. What What's it for you? Tell me first. For me, mm-hmm. I think for me, it's, it's nice to actually be asked <laughs> that. It makes me think for a moment. I think... It's something that it constantly changes. I don't think I would say what my little bit of lagum is, is the same one every day or in every moment. But I think it comes into checking in with myself and just having a moment to be like, what, what do I actually need to gain a bit of a more all-rounded perspective or to come back to myself? And quite often I do find that tends to be in nature, in, in all honesty, or in some way moving my body. Um, mm. But yeah, I think, I think for me, it's something in that. I think it's something I'm still constantly figuring out what helps me come back to myself. And yeah. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Um, so for me, I, um, I never stop learning. Um, I think it's never enough. And there is so uh, so much stuff out there and a lot of things I already know and about zero waste. Uh, but I keep learning and I just can't stop being amazed about um, how, <laughs> first of all, how uh, screwed <laughs> we are. <laughs> because I learn almost every day uh, some more and more details about climate change that are de- detrimental. But at the same time, I'm also learning more and more how cool the solutions could be. It gives you hope. And um, I, I try to learn more and more. And it's it comes to practical things. For example, before I would think some years ago, I would think, oh, parchment paper is okay and uh, it's completely recyclable well which is not so and uh it, it completely it keeps me um in tonus basically because i never stop and say well now i know everything and i am i am uh, i am an expert well no actually because i keep learning i keep finding out new things every day and uh it keeps me in check it keeps me motivated I try not to let myself down by the pieces of information I learn, which are on the negative side, because I always try to think of something that's new. New research coming up every day, you know, plastic eating bacteria and whatnot. So I'm still hopeful, right? That's wonderful. I love that because I also have a similar mindset where I never want to stop learning like it excites me it drives me and I think there's like you like we were saying before there's a there's a power in knowledge and I think that's something that does give me hope it's like the more I learn then the more I can try and share something 
with others or the more I can apply to my own life to try and do a bit better. And, and I think, yeah, it's such a powerful thing. Um, so I love that you said that. That's a wonderful one. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks as well for giving me an opportunity to talk about uh, sustainability for an hour. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, oh, thank you. It's, yeah, sometimes I feel like these conversations are just so needed to to remind yourself that we're not alone in this and there yeah. are so many people who care about these things and yeah. yeah it is indeed a community and it helps a lot and it helps especially a lot when a lot of creators share their fails because it's uh, we have to be honest about our mistakes and we're not perfect and i also don't want to make impression to anyone that uh it's i'm completely perfect or anything like that i think it's great to be honest and saying that yeah i, I made mistakes and uh, it's fine and that's why you can um do it because it's not 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 something amazing or something you know it's just simple it's not glamorous uh So yeah, we just uh, start doing, making mistakes, finding support in your peers and then moving on. Yes, I completely agree. That's so true. And yeah, a wonderful positive note to end on for sure. If I may just plug a little bit, my nickname is Sustainixenia and I also have a YouTube channel with the same name where I talk openly about my mental health issues and overall about my journey in sustainability. So if you're interested, please check it out. And uh, I am sure to be uh, engaged with you more uh, on Instagram as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Yes, you too. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Xenia for such a thought-provoking conversation, sharing your perspective so generously and bringing a sense of hope into what can feel so hopeless sometimes. If you'd like to find out more about what Xenia is up to, you can find her on Instagram at SustainerXenia and on YouTube. I'll leave the links in the description. And I'd really appreciate it if you could please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. It really means a lot and is super helpful to receive feedback from you guys. And I'd love to hear from you if you're listening right now. What would you like to hear more of or less of? What questions do you have about the podcast? It's great to get feedback, whether it's positive or negative. It helps me make the podcast more of what you would like it to be. You can drop me a message on Instagram. I'm at a little bit of Largum, or you can email me. And my email is a little bit of Largum at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you again soon. Bye.